welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's June 16th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, today we start a two-week look at the Ark Stories event, and Ark Stories was a night of storytelling, of stories of hope, adoption, orphan care, and help for the vulnerable through the gospel of Christ Jesus. It was held May 7th, 2021 in Birmingham, Alabama. And for many of you, you were unable to make it to that May 7th event, but we want to take the next couple of weeks and highlight two special stories from that night. And hopefully throughout the rest of the year, we'll give you opportunities to hear the rest of those stories. But today we're going to hear from Shane Etheridge. He and his wife Brandy adopted from Ukraine. And it is such a story of hope and of healing and of seeing the way that the Lord orchestrated all of those events to bring home this family through adoption from Ukraine. But before we get to hear from Shane and his story, I want you to know about our How to Fund Your Adoption ebook. For those who are seeking to adopt, we've produced an ebook to help you as you financially prepare for the journey. It's filled with tips, resources, contact information for grant organizations, and so much more. To receive this free ebook or to learn more, see our show notes. And so we know that one of the major barriers to adoption or to starting the adoption journey is finances. And I know that this How to Fund Your Adoption ebook will help you be able to navigate those difficult waters. And so now, without further ado, I'm grateful for you to get to hear from Shane Etheridge from our ARC Stories event held May 7th, 2021 in Birmingham, Alabama. First. Thing, I was asked to give a small disclaimer. disclaimer. My connection with Lifeline is mostly professional. When my wife Brandy and I decided to adopt from Ukraine, we did so independently. We didn't go through an agency, and the reason they wanted me to say that is because some of the shenanigans we got up to are not Lifeline approved. In fact, no reputable agency will allow some of those things to happen. So, And the reason I know that is because I've told bits and pieces of this story two members of our international adoption team and watched them just crawl from their skin uh, at, the <laughs> at the very idea of some of this going on. So now you know. My wife and I uh, adopted from Ukraine. And the way we got plugged into that was through a hosting program. Kids will come for part of the summer. They'll leave their orphanage. They'll often leave the country, uh, as in this case, and they'll go and stay at a house with a family, they'll meet some people, they'll have some fun, it's a good experience. And this family had asked uh, for people to sign up and come bring some meals. So my wife, being very generous and thoughtful, signed up to bring a couple of lunches. Now usually that looks like a sandwich platter, a nugget tray, or pizzas, or whatever, not for Brandy. Brandy bought a cookbook. And Brandy learned to make several traditional Ukrainian dishes, which were all disgusting. Because it's a salad with a ton of mayonnaise in it, and it's a soup with a ton of mayonnaise in it. You see the pattern. Uh, and the soup looks like a middle school lunchroom dare. It is, we've got all this mayonnaise left over. We've got this sour cream. We've got these pickles. And so we're going to get it all in a bowl and mix it up and get the dumbest kid in class to eat it for $10, right? It's like that. So we show up with this disgusting food. 
and they eat it like you would not believe. It's the first Ukrainian food they've seen in weeks. They start calling her Mama Brandy like immediately over this food, right? And so they eat this food, and we were kind of hooked. And so we stayed involved with the group that was doing the hosting program, and the next year we got the chance to go to Ukraine uh, during the summer. So we, we jumped on that, and we went to Ukraine, and we went just from pillar to post in Ukraine, uh, all, over the, all over the country, six or seven cities in 10 days. It was, it was a great trip. And when I collapsed into my seat on the plane to go home, I said, this was a great trip. Let's never come back here. Because it was enough already with Ukraine. She felt differently and went back the next year. And we had had conversations about adoption before. And we knew that that was going to be part of how we, you know, built our family. And so I told her, when you're there, if you meet a child who kind of fits our parameters and you feel that there's a connection and you feel like that's where like we're being pulled let you know say so and we'll 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 start the process we'll go the parameters that I mentioned are as follows no one over the age of about six we were pretty young at the time that was kind of what we were you know best able to handle we thought and no uh girls I am not cut out to be a girl dad. I'm not going to be good at it. It's better. It simplifies everything for everybody if we just stick to boys. And okay, so she goes to Ukraine and she comes back with all these stories about all these sweet babies and she loves them so much and they love her so much. And there's these two in particular that she has latched onto and they've latched onto her. And their names are Sasha and Marina. And I said, hold it, because that sounds a lot like girls' names. And she said, yeah, they're girls, but don't panic, they're not available for adoption. For one reason or another, we were told that they're not available for adoption. And so she kept going back to Ukraine over and over again for several years. And one, you know, one trip about four years later, I get an, a phone call from her. And she says, so I have to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, I just found out that Sasha and Marina are available to adopt. And she, I can hear it in her voice that she is telling me this because she wants to do right by these kids. So the option's been put out there, and everything's above board and on the table. But she knows what I'm going to say is we are not ready for that. We are not equipped for that. They're like 8 years old and 12 years old. That's not a great fit. We should probably move on. What I actually said was, okay, tell them we're coming to get them. And so she did, and we did. And just shy of nine months later, we are landing in Kiev, Ukraine, on a plane to start our in-country uh, adoption process. And so we stayed in Kiev in the capital for about a week, uh, where we rented an apartment with other people in it who seemed very put out that we were there. Uh, and then we went to a smaller town called Lugansk in eastern Ukraine, which is very near where they live. And so when you get to this point in your adoption process, there's three major things you have to do. You have to get them to, the kids, to agree to the adoption. They have to consent. You have to do your court date where the judge declares them your children in the adoption final. And you have to get them passports so that you can travel home, right? So first step, no problem. They knew all about it. She had told them about it months ago. They consented to it, you know, right there. Then we had our court date. Now, how court works in Ukraine is the main thing, one of the main things that we were told was they do not want to hear from the wife. They want to talk to the man. The woman is supposed to sit there, demure, and quiet.
this is a problem. Because in our arrangement, the wife is for sure the brains of the outfit. The wife has also been to Ukraine five times, and the husband has been to Ukraine once like five years ago. Also, I super do not listen when people talk to me. So this guy is saying stuff that I'm pretty sure it's the first I've heard of it. Uh, and Brandy is sitting there feeding me information like this behind her hand. No, we have to send pictures every year. Like We have to check in and send a, a report. Uh, it is not subtle, and he picks up on it immediately. And he looks at me and says, I feel like she knows a lot about, more about this than you do. And I said, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, and he said, maybe I should be talking to her instead. And I said, yeah, probably. You know. uh, and he goes, sit down. <laughs> and so I did. And he pointed at her and said, now you stand up. And that is how Brandy became maybe the first woman to testify in Ukrainian court ever. I don't know. Uh, we don't know. Maybe. So anyway, he approves it. We go through this, you know, this rigmarole, and he approves it. And they're declared our, our kids. It's official. Uh, and, and then he turns into super nice judge. Now he's all happy. Before he was mean judge, but then he wants to see the pictures of the family because everybody brings pictures of their family, and he's talking to the girls, and he's talking to us, and we're looking through the pictures, right, and it's, you know, there's my parents, and that's our dog, and that's Brandy's grandmother, and that's our other dog, and then he, he goes, hold it, back it up, and so we go back to the picture of Brandy's grandmother, and he says, I like her very much, <laughs> and so he goes on for a while about how much he likes Brandy's grandmother, longer than we wanted him to. And we sit there and tell yes, yeah, she's a nice lady. Uh, and finally, we make our way out uh, the door, and it's, you know, yeah, we did it. It's over. The, you know, that was the hardest part of it. You know, we, we did it. You're, you know, we're a family, blah, blah, blah. It was a great day. Every day, every day since then has been sort of a train wreck, but that was a great day. Uh, and so now we have to get them passports. Now the passport process takes about a month, best case scenario. Worst case scenario, it can take a lot longer because sometimes the government just doesn't pay their printing bills. And when that happens, the printer doesn't release the passports. They print the passports. They just put them in a bin until the check clears, and then you can have them back. And we have heard of this taking up to six months. We don't have six months. We don't have one month to wait for the best case scenario. We've already been here a month. And so when you don't have a month, you, you grease a few wheels. So we're going to pay the guy who's going to hustle up this process a little bit. And so we got to meet the guy and pay what he's asking. Where he wants us to meet him is behind the circus. That's right. In Lugansk, there's a circus. He says, meet me behind there. And so we go to the circus, and we drive around back. And there's this big black car, and he gets out of his big black car in a hip-length leather jacket in the middle of July. It's 100 degrees. I walk up to this guy. I hand him an envelope full of money. He kind of looks at it, fingers through it for a second, and looks at me and says, I call, and gets in his car. And I turned around to our translator and said, okay, we ever going to see this guy again? And he says to me, probably. He's a good guy. I said, all right. Let's go get something to eat, I guess. Let's see if I can keep some food down. And say what you want about it. 
three days later, we get a phone call, and our passports are done, and they are at the office, and we are ready to zip this thing up and be finished with it. So we go down there, we finish the last bit of the thing, and then we go home. And so we get home, and we're home for about three days. And Brandy calls me and says, on your way home from work, can you pick up a pregnancy test? And I said, "Uh uh-huh. What's that now? She said, just get a pregnancy test. And I said, for whom? Uh, and she said, I'm, it's for me. I just, it's not what this is. Again, don't panic. We got, you know, I, I just, I can't shake the fatigue. I can't shake the nausea. I want to go to the doctor, and they're going to ask me, and I need to know. So I said, okay. She's nauseous. She's fatigued. I was nauseous. I'm fatigued the whole time. You know, you're, you're doing this incredibly stressful thing in a country where everybody speaks Russian. It's 150 degrees. All the food is like a middle school lunchroom dare. And, you know, it's a nauseating, fatiguing experience. And so, of course, yeah, sure. So I got her a pregnancy test. And you, you know how the way this is going. She, I'm sitting there watching the Braves play the Pirates, and she brings me a positive pregnancy test. And so we had zero kids. And then six months later, because she was three months pregnant, we had three kids. And none of them spoke English. But one of them was a boy under the age of six. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.